The new year is here, which means it's time to start new habits and make those yearly resolutions. Mine this year was to get healthier and improve my quality of life, which is why I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all and don't take into account each person's individual needs which in turn doesn't really set you up for success. Those workout plans you pull from the internet don't think about your individual dietary restrictions, medical issues, or other personal needs. Noom does all of that before building a tailor-made plan that works for you and your lifestyle. It doesn't try to restrict what you eat and never shames you for wanting to treat yourself. And unlike before, I feel the motivation I need to succeed and none of the frustration that came with other plans. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy wherever books are sold. Today's podcast is brought to you by Newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers nearly a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. With the new year comes the perfect time to try out some new things. So it's the perfect time to add native aluminum-free deodorant to your 2021 routine. I have tried almost every aluminum-free deodorant there is, and I can say without a shadow of a doubt that native is my absolute favorite. Native cares about your armpits, which is why their list has ingredients you've actually heard of and can pronounce, like coconut oil and shea butter. Not just that, but none of their products are tested on animals, and almost everything is vegan. So you can feel good about your choice to switch. There are so many options to choose from, and I don't just mean their normal line and seasonal scents. There is a line of sensitive deodorants for those with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free for those wanting to cut down their plastic consumption, and unscented for those who are all about their own scent. And if that wasn't enough to convince you to try Native, making the switch is risk-free to try because every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. So head over to Native and pick out your perfect scent. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup to check out for 20% off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Money and privilege can be a dangerous thing. On January 13, 1961, a boy was born who would later be adopted into a life of money and privilege. 
and he would do some terrible things to those who loved him to try and take everything for himself. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Jeremy Paul Marsham was born on January 13, 1961 in Kensington, London. His mother, who was a vicar's daughter and had an affair with a military man, gave him up for adoption shortly after she gave birth. Jeremy was adopted when he was six months old and became known as Jeremy Bamber. The Bambers, Neville and June, were wealthy farmers from Essex who had a farmhouse, a property in London, 300 acres of land, and a caravan site to live off of with Jeremy and his older sister, Sheila, who was adopted four years before. They were extremely secure and gave their children everything they could have needed in life. But money doesn't necessarily mean a good relationship. June was an extremely religious woman and forced her beliefs upon her children, creating a strain with Sheila in particular. At some point, the troubled Jeremy completely stopped communicating with his mother. He also began acting out at his prep and boarding schools, schools his father sent him to as to keep him from socializing with the village children as he would one day employ them on his family farm. A friend of Jeremy's later said he was assaulted when he was just 11 years old by someone in the school and that from there, Jeremy began to treat sex as a casual act with both men and women, who all fell for his charming personality. In the end, though, Jeremy left school with no qualifications, much to his father's anger. When he was finished with his education, the Bambers financed a trip to Australia and New Zealand and a scuba diving course for their son. Instead, while abroad, Jeremy broke into a jewelry store, stole some expensive watches, and boasted that he was involved in a heroin smuggling ring. He left overseas pretty quickly after his friends were involved in an armed robbery, worked in a few restaurants and bars in the UK, before finally agreeing to move back to the farm and work for his father, who offered low wages but a free car and a rent-free cottage. On August 7, 1985, Jeremy Bamber called the police around 3.30 a.m. saying that his father had just telephoned him saying that his sister Sheila had, quote, gone berserk and that he feared his parents were in danger. Police arrived to assess the situation and found Sheila Caffell lying dead on the floor of her parents' bedroom, rifle pressed against her throat. June Bamber was lying dead in the same room while Neville lined the kitchen and Sheila's six-year-old twin boys, Nicholas and Daniel, were lying in their beds upstairs. The family had been shot 25 times at close range by, as far as police could figure, an unhinged Sheila Caffell. And this didn't really seem like a wild theory. You see, Sheila grew up in the same harsh house that Jeremy had, though her way of acting out was a bit different than her brother's. That's because for Sheila, it was something she couldn't help. Sheila, while attending Secretarial College in London, met a man named Colin Caffell, and in 1974, when she was just 17 years old, found out she was pregnant. The Bambers arranged for her to have an abortion, and from there, the very strained relationship with her mother deteriorated rapidly. The religious woman called her daughter a devil child and grew increasingly vapid towards her daughter after finding her and Colin sunbathing in the nude. Something about this chain of events became a trigger for Sheila, who began having paranoid delusions that she was being taken over by the devil. She tried to make a life for herself, becoming a hairdresser, then a model, and even marrying Colin after she got pregnant a second time. Unfortunately, she lost this baby at six months. 
The Bambers bought the young couple a garden flat in Hampstead to help Sheila recuperate, but a second miscarriage came shortly after. Finally, on June 22, 1979, after four months of bed rest, she gave birth to her twin boys. Around the same time, Colin began having an affair and left Sheila just five months after she gave birth. This triggered a second breakdown, and after breaking a window with her fist, Sheila was sent to a hospital for treatment. She and Colin officially divorced in May of 1982. It seemed that Sheila, who suffered from undiagnosed mental illness, couldn't catch a break. After her divorce, Sheila slipped into a life of partying and drugs, and after her pregnancies ended her modeling career, lived off of welfare while hopping from low-paying job to low-paying job, all while her mental health kept a steady decline. In 1983, she was referred to a psychiatrist who said she was in an agitated state, paranoid, and psychotic. She was admitted to a private psychiatric facility where she was finally diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. She believed that the devil had given her power to project evil onto others and that she could make her sons have sex and cause violence along with her. That they, like her, were the devil's children. She continued treatment on and off and spent time in a psychiatric hospital being treated for her schizophrenia just months before the White House murders. The Bambers wanted to spend time with their grandsons, and though Colin didn't like the idea, he agreed to let the boys go with Sheila to the farm before he picked them up for a vacation in Norway, which is why they were at the farm that fateful day. So, knowing all this history, police were inclined to believe Jeremy when he told his story. He said that the night before the murders, June and Neville discussed with Sheila the idea of putting the boys in a daytime foster care. And though she had little response at the time, it must have triggered another one of her episodes. That the reason the rifle she used was out and loaded was because before leaving the house at 9 p.m. to go home, Jeremy heard rabbits outside and intended to shoot them before leaving. All of this seemed plausible, and if police hadn't done their jobs and Jeremy's girlfriend not have called the station, it may have gone down as an absolute fact. But Julie Mugford came forward in the weeks following, saying that her boyfriend had implicated himself in the murder. With her call, police began working the case from a different angle. They found out that, just weeks before the murder, Jeremy trashed and robbed the family's caravan business. They also found no evidence that Neville had telephoned his son during the attack. In fact, the prosecution would later argue that he was too badly injured to have even spoken, let alone given his son all the information that he did. And why would he have called his son instead of police if Sheila had truly been walking around shooting family members? They also argued that Sheila's arms weren't long enough to hold the gun and the silencer to her chin and pull the trigger, nor was she strong enough to overcome her father. Despite her erratic mental state, Sheila was never violent, and her psychiatrist testified that she was never a suicide risk nor a danger to her family, especially her children. Even Colin insisted that no matter how bad she got, Sheila would have never hurt her boys. It seemed that Jeremy used his 28-year-old sister's illness to commit the perfect crime to gain 100% of his inheritance and any insurance policies. He was found guilty in October of 1986 and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Jeremy Bamber, who, according to sources, is living a pretty easy and overindulged life in prison, has repeatedly applied to have his conviction overturned and his whole life tariff taken away. 
His team has argued over the years that there is evidence that was suppressed, a crime scene that was disturbed and then incorrectly restaged, and that Jeremy was nowhere near the White House farm at the time of the murders. None of these appeals have been successful. Neither have the two lawsuits he has filed to recover his share of his family's estates after his grandmother cut him out of her will. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 14th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.